1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here he puts God's will first. He puts God first. We start off with God's will and God's agenda. Jesus prayed for others as well, though, right? He said, The Son of Man did not come here to be served, but to serve others and to offer his life a ransom for many. He went off to pray. He prayed for people all the time. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The anthem for all my life Every giant will fall
1: Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are blessed and honored that you've chosen to spend time with us today, and we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues our study from the Gospel of Matthew, entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. So if you have your Bibles... Please return with us to the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 6. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: There are three answers to prayer. You see that in the Bible. There are three answers to any question that somebody asks. Yes, no, and wait. Sometimes we ask something for God and He says yes. Other times we ask for something that we shouldn't have and He says no, like the perfect parent that He is. And other times, there's delayed gratification. We go through a trial. We, we struggle through a situation to receive what we've asked for at the end. Grown in our character and ability to meet life's challenges. So how can I really say that God only says yes to the prayers that are in harmony with his will? Does the Bible say that? It indicates that in a number of places, but it says it outright in no uncertain terms in 1 John five fourteen. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And the word hears there means, says yes. It can mean grant in its usage in the New Testament. It can mean obey. I'm assuming here it means grant since he is God and we obey him. But what we have here is if we ask anything according to his will, he says yes. Now, last week, we considered Luke's gospel in Luke 22, 41 to 42, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's return there. We read this in verse 41. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Is there anything impossible for God? No. Right? But it was God's will. Yours be done. Here in these words, yours be done, we hear the echo of the model of prayer in this passage we're looking at today. Your kingdom come, your will be done, yours be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Like in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus in Gethsemane, puts God's will first. Yours be done, Father. Prayer aligns us with God's will, not God with our will. He's God. We are the servants, the slaves. And yet we're his children. Where do we find God's will? How do we know God's will? How do we know what kinds of things to pray for and how to go about praying? That brings us to our second our second principle or key or practice the first one was make god's priority priority number 1 the second is look to scripture to find god's will for your prayers look to scripture to find god's will for prayer where and how and can we learn to pray and what to pray for we look in the scriptures it's loaded with examples loaded with guidance It's a rich resource. Look at with me at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Here we have instruction in the model prayer. And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have their reward. They're making a spectacle out of themselves as far as they're getting. When we pray, we want to pray with sincere hearts, not to put on a show to impress other people, but to express our devotion and love for God. It's between God and us, not the world. And so he says in verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now let me tell you what's not going on here. It's not saying the only place you can pray is in your room. There's a principle here is that you pray for for the right reasons, basically, with the right heart, with the right motive. It goes on to say in verse seven, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. And there are those who don't know God and they come from different religions and some of these religions you do chants or Things like that. You work yourself into a lather. You know, there's one religion that has a prayer wheel and you write your words on it and you spin the wheel and that's going to make all those rotations. He's saying, you know what? Don't do that. He wants you to pray from the heart. He wants you to talk to him from the heart. And so here's some do's and don'ts for prayer pray in the right manner for the right reasons, right? Don't make a spectacle of yourself, don't do it for show. Don't do it to advance your standing in the faith community, whether you're standing on a street corner and, or whether you're jumping up and down in a worship service somewhere. You don't pray to show off. You pray to humble yourself before God and to demonstrate your dependence upon him. It's an act of worship. And be careful not to fall into the trap of rote prayers, meaningless prayers that don't mean anything to you that you just recite over and over as you're going through the motions of religion whether it's chanting incantations or just reciting a prayer over and over again without thinking about what it means. Prayer is not a self-centered thing. It's a God-centered thing. Prayer is not a self-oriented thing. It's an other-oriented thing. It is, as some people call it, theocentric or God-centric. Those who prayed on the street corners or make spectacles of themselves were doing it in a self-oriented, self-centered, man-centered way. But our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is all about God. Not so much about us. So how do we find the right things and the right priorities for our prayers? Well, we look to the scriptures. Let me give you one that gives you a little example. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You remember when we prayed, when we prayed, when we preached through, taught through the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy, we went verse by verse through those. When we rolled into chapter two, we saw something on prayer, didn't we? First Timothy two one through four. First of all, then, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of god our savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth there's a lot going on there first then speaks to priority pray for make all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people and then he gives some particulars here pray for kings and those who are in high positions people in authority presidents prime ministers Tyrants, dictators, emperors. Why? Because where there's good government, there's usually a stable society. It has a ripple effect. You see that, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You pray for these leaders to come to know God in a life changing, eternity changing way as they are born again in Christ. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I'll bet Nehemiah last week prayed for Artaxerxes. And I'll tell you something else. You know, one of our goals as a church, as a church family, is to change this community one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ. Just think what happens if Joe Biden becomes a Christian or Putin or Zelensky. Or Khamenei, you're going to see policy change at a global level. You'll see all kinds of transformation. And so we look to the scriptures. They provide plenty of guidance. We derive our priorities and understand matters of importance. Like missionaries. Praying for missionaries. Where do we see that? We see that in 3 John 5 through 8. 3 John 5 through 8, there's a discussion of supporting missionaries, of encouraging them, of praying for their safety. You know, the funny thing about 2nd and 3rd John, I think 3rd John is 250 words long or something like that. If you preach a message on that, it's longer than the whole book. But in 3rd John 5 8, we read this Beloved, it is a fateful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, you know, missionaries come that we don't even know them personally who testified to your love before the church you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God for they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the gentiles therefore we ought to support people like these that they that we that we may be fellow workers for the truth you know if we pay close attention to the scriptures we'll know how to pray You know, if we apply ourselves to the study of God's word, I've said this before, what you get here isn't the meaty teaching, right? This is just the dessert. You should be feeding yourself on God's word Monday through Sunday on your own. You come here once a week to get this, and this is helpful. But if you're studying God's word, you will discover how to pray. God's word teaches us how to pray. I mean, Matthew 6, right? Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not. But when you pray, go. And when you pray, do not. pray. And when you pray, pray then like this. God's word gives us sufficient guidance. I mean, for even reading Philippians, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition and empty conceit, but put the needs of others above yourselves, right? There's a principle there. So we put put God's will, we make God the priority of our prayer. We look to the scriptures to know how to pray and practice prayer. And then number three, number three, key number three, principle number three, practice number three is we put others first in our prayers. Put others first in your prayers. We've kind of already been through this. It's kind of, all this is interwoven and interconnected. It's almost seamless And Jesus provides us an object lesson. In Matthew 6, 9 through 10, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Here he puts God's will first. He puts God first. We start off with God's will and God's agenda. Jesus prayed for others as well, though, right? He said the Son of Man did not come here to be served, but to serve others and to offer his life a ransom for many. He went off to pray. He prayed for people all the time. A few minutes ago, I mentioned Paul. Paul's prayers, right? Paul gives us an example of prayer throughout his epistles. and and, and, In Ephesians, you know, I love Ephesians. It starts off in Ephesians 1 with Paul just bursting into a song of praise for God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And he just goes on and on and on. The first 14 verses are two sentences in the Greek. And then you roll into verse 15 through 18, and we get this instruction about prayer. We learn something from Paul about prayer, about how to pray. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. That's something to pray for a son, daughter, friend, enemy, right, fellow Christian. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know, what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of the glorious inheritance of his saints? He models a specific prayer. He doesn't just say, God bless the Ephesians, and John doesn't just say, God bless the missionaries. Paul is implicitly and explicitly teaching us to pray with specificity for others. Paul's epistles provide a rich source of examples of putting others first in prayer. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. He says this. Now, this is subtle. And this is, this is sort of a, a trick question on the test, if you want to call it that. Okay, Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Continue, he says to the Colossians, steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with it in thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now notice something here. It sounds like Paul's asking for prayer for himself and his compadres, right? But you know what he's really doing ultimately? He's praying for clarity for the sake of those who will hear the gospel. He's praying for his hearers, indirectly he's saying i want to be clear that i would speak the way i should you know he's in prison he's writing from prison he's not saying get me out of here he's not doing that at all he says pray that god would open a door for us to advance his kingdom he's praying for god's will for god's kingdom your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven That he would speak in such a way that his hearers would understand and grasp the gospel, its gravity, its importance, their need for salvation. Paul asked for prayer, that God's gospel would go out with clarity, that God would open doors to his gospel, that his kingdom would come, it would expand. He doesn't pray for his own glory, he prays for the glory of God. Another example of praying for others, once again, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 34. Uh, This is the crucifixion of Christ, and this is him praying on the cross. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, So what's going on here? These two guys are crucified over here. The people who crucified him are before him. We already know from the other gospels that they're hurling insults at him until one repents. And the Roman soldiers, look, you know, they've crucified tons of people. This is nothing they could care less. And in verse 34, we read this. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then the next sentence is Telling and they cast lots to divide his garments you go to work sometimes and to use a very complex theological terminology you might work with a jerk <laughs> who doesn't treat you well who who shows no who shows contempt for the company contempt for the esprit de corps in your work group you might be a teacher you could be a student on a playground You could be standing in line at the grocery store. There could be a neighbor in your neighborhood who doesn't care about you. But you can pray for them. Because it's not about you. It's about God and others. We do what we do for the glory of God, the good of others, and our own growth. How many times have we said that? So here's Jesus praying for people who could care less about him. He's praying for them as they gamble for his property that they took away from him before and after they beat him and crucified him. They are not concerned for him, but he is concerned for them. They're busy gambling. He's busy praying. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we need to be about. We need to be about that. We don't understand how it all works. We've got our little piece of minuscule redemptive real estate, our corner of the stage on this unfolding drama of redemption, but God has given us enough information that we can sufficiently understand and pray on a need to know basis. Because prayer is in fact the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Prayer somehow, some way, and ways that we don't fully understand, activates the power of God in our lives to expand his kingdom using common everyday people like us to serve an uncommon matchless, glorious God. So what do you do with this? Well, let me just do right here. You can't see this. I got an invisible pause button here. I'm going to push it. Let me tell you what I'm not saying here. And I want you to understand me clearly. What I am not saying to you is that you cannot pray for yourself. You cannot pray for your own needs. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying to organize your priorities around God's priorities. I have one wife, two daughters, and two sons-in-law, and I pray for them. I pray for my oldest daughter who was in the accident. You know, I pray for her healing every day. Me with my vaccine injury and my one to two year recovery prospects. You better believe I don't like being like this. I pray for my healing. I had, to, when I go through all my tests and all my infusions and my chemotherapy trying to counteract the effects of the, what the vaccine has done, um, sometimes those tests hurts. One in particular. There's a lot you can do to me. I've broken lots of bones, you know. I've been in accidents and things like that. I don't scare easy and I don't break easy. But there's one test they were going to do to me. I came that close to squealing like a four-year-old. And instead of squealing like a four year old and instead of praying for the doctor, boy, I was praying for myself. You know, there's nothing wrong with praying for yourself. I'm giving you biblical guidelines that should govern your prayer life, generally speaking. So I don't want to be legalistic about this. I mean, Nehemiah, when Artaxerxes said, So what is it you want, Nehemiah? He says, And I prayed to the Lord God and I answered the king. He asked God to help him. So don't get me wrong, okay? But to review and to apply this message. Just take the three principles and make them three practices in your life. Make God's will your priority. Look to the scripture to find God's will for how to go about praying. And put others first in prayer. Because indeed, when you pray, you pray to the highest authority in the entire universe, almost 8 billion people in this world, and the God of the universe inclines his ear to hear your prayer. Prayer is talking to God, and prayer does, in fact, somehow, some way, function as that slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Let's pray. Father, what a delight it is to have a privilege like this to pray to you. That we can, as your children, all of us who know you, talk to our Heavenly Father. And you listen. And you care. Father, help us to make the most of this privilege, this right, this practice, this duty. Help us to pray what we pray for the glory of God, the good of others, and yes, our own growth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.